Welcome to Voices of Experience. Here's your host, Kate Delaney. Hello, everyone. Welcome to 2017 and our first Voices of Experience for the year. This time around, a lot of the focus is on bigger business. Are you adding a revenue line? What's your strategy for growth? Do you have killer content that's not trademarked and really should be? How do you get heard in the media? So many questions, and this edition has lots of answers to growing, expanding, and leveraging your expertise, and includes President-elect Brian Walter with perhaps the biggest tip of all. Enjoy. We start off 2017 with former NSA board member Ed Robinson, CSP and the Rainmaker. Ed, thanks so much for joining us. So the big question is, how do we get bigger business? Wow, that's a, that's a great question. First of all, thanks for having me here. It's uh, always a pleasure to be part of the VOE segments. Um, but you are touching on something that's close to my heart. And it's like, how do we make our businesses bigger? And I think we're always trying to grow our business. I, I talk about this one thing, and I call it the three S's of success in business. The one S is you have to have a strategy. What is your strategy for growth? I.e., this year for, my, for me, my strategy is um, speaking on the platform about 50 times, but also selling my online platform. Um, to organizations and growing that online platforms, not so much so that people are buying my product online, but for me to sell it to a corporation so that they have access to my material online. So that really is a segue to the other two S's. Mm -hmm. The first S was strategy. Mm -hmm. So the second S is to have a system. And if you have a system so that people can follow, it makes it easier to sell. Taking me to the third S, scalable. If, in fact, I can sell it to you one-on-one, how can I get it to I can sell it to the masses? Give you an example of that. I go in and do some keynotes and training for a company out of St. Louis. And I've been doing this for about four or five years. And usually there's about 50 people in my class. So I end up doing about 150 people every year. After I developed this online training platform, I asked them, how many salespeople do you have? He goes all in all about 3,100 across the country. I said, so mathematically, I'm touching about 5% of your total sales population. I said, that means 95% are not getting any better or any information. I said, wouldn't it make sense for us to do something online so that we can reach more of your and have a greater penetration? That's going from 150 to 3,000, potentially having a more scalable impact and obviously more money for them, and of course more money for us. Of the three S's, where do people usually fall down the most? Oh, great question. And I think it's number two. We all have a strategy. Who was it, the fighter that says, we all go in with a plan until we get hit, (laughs) and then it all uh, unravels. We all have a strategy to grow our business. We wanna speak more, we wanna do more training, we wanna do more of whatever. If, in fact, we have a system, the second S, that's where it allows the other two to come into play. Most people don't have a system. They don't have a process. They don't have something that they can do, and it becomes repeatable so that they can do it time and time again. 
And so if you're not repeating it, there's a great chance you're leaving business on the table or you're not getting the business you could. I agree with that 100%. And it's not just that we're not getting the business we could, but if they like it, can they bring it in and say, let's do it for everybody? And do you have that capacity to become scalable? And that's what I mean by the scalable. For bigger business, do you have to be um, up with the times technology-wise? Where you know Now you have people that offer more than even webinars, all kinds of different online training, and there's a just it seems like every day there's a new app that comes out that can help mm-hmm. you do this or that do we sometimes get caught up do you think business wise in too much technology which is it or do we need to know enough technology now you've hit me with a question that i would say that's in my blind spot but this is how i would answer it yes you have to have technology i am not a technological expert However, to be able to scale my business, I have had to bring in people with some technology. I mean, NSA has a lot of experts who can help you, whether it's a learning management system or um, some type of a platform to multiply your efforts, whether it's a um, infusion software. A lot of our sponsors, they can help you take your content and leverage it beyond what you can do yourself. So. The short answer is yes, you need technology. The mid answer is you don't have to be the expert on that technology to be able to expand your business. Well, we know you must use the three S's in your business. That is what you teach. How else do you leverage what has worked so well for you, the the Rainmaker? How do you leverage that? Community. And so everyone that I go and I talk to, I try to keep in my fold by some type of a network. And I, um, I think this is an old conversation because we want to start building our databases. And as we build that database, that database becomes our community. And I have found that it's my community that will buy subsequent products and services or will reach out and say I have this challenge can you design something for it or if in fact they know that you're what your real bandwidth is they'll do that but then once they start following you and in today's environment they follow you only because you're giving them stuff for free or or at least tidbits um, it allows them to reach out to you only because they're part of that community and you become part of their trusted advisors yeah greatest moment for you Brush with fame, best gig, what is it? Ooh, wow. And, and, and that's really hard because it could be a, a large sale. And I, be, me being a rainmaker, I like that large deal. But it's also a large audience. I re, um, the NSA Summit that I did in Singapore where we had about 3,500 people on it. And I spoke four or five times. That was one of, one of my, my greatest conversations. But... Um, sometimes it's a small group that I have one group where I spoke to 150 people and everybody in the audience can hire me and afterwards a dozen of them came up and said can you come to our organization can you come to my our firm and that that's a sweet deal thanks Ed as a quick aside my very first National Speakers Association meeting happened in North Texas Stu Schlackman invited me and guess who the speaker was the rainmaker, Ed Robinson. 
We're here with Linda Swindling, and she is the queen of negotiation, among other things. And, of course, CSP, former board member for NSA, former president of North Texas chapter of NSA. The list goes on. If I list all her credentials, former lawyer. Well, she said she's recovering. You can hear her in the background. But... um, Here's the key thing. I think people, a lot of people are lousy at negotiating or they think they're good at negotiating and then they find out, oh, I left some money and some opportunity on the table. So it is perfect for us to sit down with Linda Swinley and have a conversation about how we can negotiate our way into bigger business, really. Hi, Linda. How are you? Excellent. <laughs> so what, what? So there's so many faux pas and so many directions we could go in with negotiations. What's the biggest, some of the biggest mistakes people make when they go to negotiate a deal? They feel like it's like a one-time thing. And they, they are only going for this one big deal and the big deal is going to go away. And that's crazy. I mean, the best negotiations you have are relationship built, right? Uh So you've got to really start thinking about what would a long-term relationship look like. And if this person doesn't go with you this time, those crazy people, they may circle back around. So that's the very first thing is um, it's not a one-time shot. So not being a one-time shot, that means you should look at it a little bit differently that how do I maybe kick open the door? Is that it? You want to get them, you want to kind of seduce them, for lack of a better term, into really wanting you, and but, but not giving in. It's almost like giving in too soon. Yeah, and your ego gets in the way. You know, we get this um, like me button, and you got to uninstall the like me button. It's not about you. It's not about your ego. It really is about serving them. So, you know, Is this a fit? Can I help you? Asking those open-ended questions and really looking at, um, you know, why are they calling you? So that's one of the very first questions I'll say. You know, if if they've called me or we're talking, I'll say, so why do you think you have this problem? Or why are we even talking? And that kind of shocks them sometimes. I'll be in an office and I'll say, so why am I here? And that's the big question. And that's when you'll see, you know, do they have pain? Is it something you can help them with? Uh, yeah, and the pain point we know we all know um, in the NSA certainly that's one of the things that that is what you want to look for when you choose a road or several roads or whatever. What is the pain point? So when we actually go to negotiate our contract, should we have a lawyer look at it as a former lawyer? I would. I definitely would. Um, certain words mean something. So like work for hire um, could mean that you are turning over all your work product. So think about it. You've got this program, and and you're going to present it to them, and maybe it's off a book you've done or a program you've done for the last 20 years, and they say, and all of this property becomes a work for hire, becomes our work product, or we can use it throughout the organization. What? You don't want to give them that. So what I'll often write in is, I'm, I'm licensing your company to use the tools and the services that I've got, and I'm the one that delivers the program or they have to be approved by me, or they still have to be under a contract. I've had that happen to me. I had a client that took stuff that I developed that I was supposed to deliver, and they started delivering it. And I got a phone call out of the blue several years later, and somebody said, wow, you did a good program. I said, what do you mean? Oh, wow, we just worked with them. And I just delivered this program, and it was mine. And they charged them next to nothing because all they had to do was read. Wow. So 
also be careful, I guess, what also what you put in a contract. So remember what what's non-negotiable for you. That's key, right? Exactly. And you do want to have a lawyer look at it, but just know that there's going to be ethical people and there's going to be unethical people. And a lot of times I'll just pick up the phone and call, you know, or I'll email them and I'll say, what are you trying to accomplish here? What, why do you want to use this, all these different places? And they'll say, oh, I didn't know that. Or they're in, in our state, um, in Texas, they'll ask you for workers' compensation. Well, if you're a solo person, that's you can't get workers' compensation on yourself. So you can't sign a contract saying, I will provide workers' compensation. So you, get, you just have to watch some of those things. Why do we have those liabilities? All those, all those kind of crazy legal questions. But... Um, you know, the, the pain point thing, mm-hmm. that's the one that I really think is good because it might not be pain. It might just be confusion. Mm-hmm. It might be they have something they want to drive forward. And often the pain point for us is what? Talking about the money. Right. Absolutely. You know, we're so afraid to say something about the money. And is there, when you look at the money side of it, should you, if it's a bad deal, should you just walk away? I mean, just, I know people say, well, i got to feed my economic engine, but are there just deals you just need to say, well, I, I can't do this? Yeah, there's some that are the hassle factor. You know, I, I don't like you, so I'm going to – I've even quoted business when I was a lawyer I did it. I've done it as a consultant. I know they're going to be hassle. They're going to be a pain in my neck. So, you know – I'll charge them more because I know they're going to call me and they're going to they're going to really squeeze me. Um, I do have not fee integrity, but eat integrity. I have needed to eat sometimes, you know, and I've done those those jobs. But boy, when I've taken a few of them, I shouldn't have. Uh, boy, you pay for it because you don't belong in there. There was one I went. Gosh, I went to um, this resort and I was I was their definitely their second choice. They wanted this other speaker on generational, and they, and whoever it was, sold me and said she can do this, she can do anything, and I can do it. But that's not who they wanted. They wanted this man who had been in this industry to do this talk that they had heard, and it was in Hilton Head. It was beautiful. I went and put my feet out in the water, and really, all of us would have been better if I had just put my shoes on after that fact and gone back to the plane and gone home. Wow, and you could feel that. You could feel that energy in the room. I was horrible. It was horrible. So, yeah, I should have walked away. Um, the, the fee thing, that yeah, that, that can be hard. Um, I guess a good way of thinking about this, though, Kate, is have you ever had to go to the dentist and you really, there was something that they told you, you know, you've got to get this crown or you've got to get this filling, and you think, yeah. oh, no. You didn't delay it. You found the money, right? Mm-hmm. And that was a big need. Yeah. So if the need's there, they will find the money. They always find the money. And if they go with a second person, if they go with a lower-tier person who can't solve the problem, there's many times they will circle back around to you. Maybe it's a year later. Maybe it's a few months later, and they'll say, boy, we made a mistake. We should have paid you to do this. Can you come in and fix not just what our problem was but what this other person's now created? If, if people that are listening are, are a little freaked out about negotiating, they're not particularly, they feel like they already have that head noise that they're not great at negotiating, what do you tell them, or, or maybe this would be a good way to do it, is it good to practice with someone? Because you might have to do the verbal deal and then send in a deal. Would it be good to kind of practice that out with somebody with more experience? Absolutely. You call a buddy who has a little more experience and say, does this sound right? Um, you know, I always do a trial balloon. Do you know what a trial balloon is? You float something up, 
and see if it's too much or too little. And you can say, you know, um, they'll say, well, what do you charge? That's always the question that they ask. What do you charge? And if you say, uh, I don't know, it depends, right off the bat, people think you're an idiot. So you say, well, my range is from X to 3X. It really depends on what you're asking me to do, who's involved. And then the last one is, let's see if I'm a fit first. You always want to say, let's see if I'm a fit first. What? Well, yeah, I may not be a fit. I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. We'll see if I'm a fit. Um, or the other thing I've done is, you know, I'm not the cheapest. I'm not the I'm competitive, but I'm not the cheapest. Because he wants the cheapest speaker, especially in negotiations. You know, do you negotiate? Absolutely. Will you come down from your fee? Do you want your, let's say I'm working with salespeople, do you want your salespeople to come down from their fee? It, it, you know, it can work for a lot of different areas. Wow. So in parting, give us uh, one last pearl. Give us one last nugget on negotiating. They know what they want. They know what they want you to do. And your job, you know, the reason why you're there is to figure out, so why am I here? Tell me why I'm here, what you need, what does that look like? If we had a total success, what would that look like? And what do you absolutely not want to happen? They know it. And you can even say, and how do you see this playing out? How do you see me delivering this? Where am I going to have problems? Where, who's going to be a champion of this? What does it mean for you? And they will know. They'll, and, and they'll tell you, and you'll, you'll pull it out of them, and then you can add on. But, boy, get what they want first before you start you know, showing up and throwing up all over them. Linda Swindling, excellent advice. Thank you. Thanks, Kay. It's a pleasure to catch up with Barry Banther, CSP and National Speakers Association board member, as we continue to drill down the lane on creating bigger business. How do we start to get a bigger business? What's the mindset? Well, I think the mindset's the key word, Kate. For me, there are three things you have to do. First, you got to have a bigger idea. And I don't mean more ideas, but whatever your idea is, it's got to be bigger. So if your idea is leadership, then what's a bigger idea than just leadership? If your idea is sales training, what's a bigger idea than just sales training? That's been happening to me in my business model. I work with companies that are usually closely held, family-owned businesses, helping them achieve not only business success, but to survive as a family. And so one of the big ideas that I'm thinking about that I think is going to help make a bigger business is to take a look at why don't family businesses work? Why is it not even a good idea? It's a bit what Scott Halford told us that at a certain place, if you're going deep, you need to be able to look at something that you've got a lot of experience in and say, what's wrong with this? And so for, for me right now, the bigger idea, as opposed to we can fix this issue, we can solve this, we can plan our way out of this, the bigger idea for me is you really need to reconsider consider if this is what you want to do at all. So I think the first thing to a bigger business is you've got to have a bigger idea. Then I think the second thing, you've got to have a bigger target. It can't be just the narrow target you've had. And so again, coming back to to my world and the world I live in, the bigger target has to be not just businesses in a certain genre and not just businesses that have already been started, but families that are contemplating that, family members that are just beginning, maybe they're more entrepreneurial. So you've got to make the target bigger. Doesn't mean that you're getting outside your competency, but you're just doing a 360 of what are all the potential markets that are going to be speaking about this in as opposed to just a narrow one. So you get a bigger idea than you've had. You get a bigger target and then this is the third one that's been the toughest for me, but I think I'm there. you got to take a bigger risk. 
And the bigger risk means that you're outside what has got you to where you are. You've made good money doing what you've been doing. Are you now willing to take a bigger risk? A risk that it might be an unknown territory for you with that particular client. A bigger risk that it might be issues that you're not quite yet prepared for. But in taking that risk, you then are taking the steps necessary to reap a bigger reward. Because if we keep doing our business model the way we've done it for three or four or five or ten years, then other than just organic growth, it's not going to get any bigger. So I've got to get a bigger idea, bigger target, but I've got to be willing to take a bigger risk. And in order to do that and do the ideation, you got to do a little work, right? Oh, yes. Yep. More than ever, you have to be listening and learning and thinking. And you have to create time to think. We're great at coming up with action lists. These are all the things I'm going to do. But we really need a to-think list. What am I going to be thinking about? And that thinking may take weeks or months or even longer that I'll really stay with an idea and I'll think about that idea rather than immediately getting a thought, jumping to a product, jumping to a keynote outline, jumping to a training module. Instead, really spend time thinking about that. And the ideation takes time. Do you think there's a big tendency to do that, to jump somebody in the, it's like when we gather together brilliant people in NSA, as you know, all kinds of people with all kinds of fabulous ideas, mm-hmm. and everybody wants to help. So you start to talk about what you're working on, and you get one idea from one person, one idea from another person, another idea from this person. Before you know it, you're jumbled up as to which is the right idea, and I really like my buddy, and he's so smart. And there is sometimes that tendency just to jump on to something that someone said. I think you're exactly right. And, I, and one of the things that I've learned to stop doing, which worked well, and it was appropriate for it's time, but I think it's time has passed. And that is an old admonition from some of the men and women we've looked up to is always begin with the end in mind. I think that's a mistake now. You're going to have a narrow idea, a smaller business idea if you do that. So you have to begin with no end in mind. Nurture your natural curiosity. So why is this idea something I'm contemplating? Why is this a bigger idea? Why is this something that I think is important to my audiences? And don't too quickly jump to the end, which is almost always a product, and then a marketing plan. Because we need to stay with it longer to be able to get there, to really get to the big idea. So isn't the good idea to do is to test? Oh, sure. And and that's the wonderful thing today with so many sales channels. You can test with a blog post. You can test with a podcast. You can test with a, a free presentation you're doing. We've got so many ways to test that, that idea to see just how big this idea really is. And for me, I have to be careful. I I value so much my speaker colleagues. NSA, I've built my business on what I've learned at NSA. But the big idea has to be validated by my clients. And so it's thinking about it a lot. And when I'm testing it and talking about it, talking about it to them and see if it resonates with them. Is it something that they look at me and say, I've been thinking about that too. My speaker colleagues will be thinking more about how can I help Barry do this without really maybe understanding my market. So I think you've got to test it uh, within the people that are going to be the benefactors. Thanks, Barry. To learn more about the Winter Conference Business Symposium, February 26th through 27th in San Francisco, go to nsaspeaker.org. Time for the monthly oops moment when speakers reveal, well, when things didn't go quite as planned. 
Hello, this is Patrick Donatio, and here's my oops moment. Now, I'm going to give you a little tip here. Don't do this. I was rehearsing and checking the mics before a presentation, and I wasn't aware that five of the breakout rooms are all connected on the same sound system. So I'm in there singing, Everybody loves somebody sometime. And all of a sudden, I'm hearing people laughing and clapping. and go, wow, that speaker next door is doing a great job. Then somebody came in and said, hey, your mic is live in all those rooms. <laughs> so when you do want to check, make sure not only is your room okay, but make sure you're not connected to the other five breakout sessions. I'm Melinda Marcus, and here's my best oops moment. Years ago, when the internet was just coming out with social media and everything, a group had asked me if I would speak on what that means to marketing. And I told them I wasn't an expert in that, but they, no, no, we just want your observations. So I said, okay, well, I'll just kind of do a little discussion on it. And uh, that was booked months in advance, and I'm sitting in one of my staff meetings with my whole staff, and I'm reading a newsletter before we got started, and I saw that somebody was giving a speech on internet marketing, how to be an expert at it, secrets and tricks, how to do it all. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is fantastic. That's exactly what I'm supposed to speak on. And I'll go to that and learn something. So I was looking down the newsletter. I was so excited. And then I saw the date and I went, oh my gosh, I think I have a conflict that date. Then I read down a little further and I realized the reason I had a conflict is I was the speaker. The client had changed my title up to the point where I didn't recognize it, and I realized, oh my gosh, and it was in front of my entire staff who went into hysterics, and it was at that moment I realized I had to bring in a co-speaker who was an expert on that so that the people in the audience would be fulfilled on what the promise of that title was. So this is Tom Singer. I had a great corporate gig in San Antonio, about 90 miles from my home, and it was one of those lunchtime deals, so I wasn't spending the night. I drove down, and as I walked into the hotel, I realized I failed to bring my tie and my jacket that I had laid out on the couch before I left home. And this was a, like a company where I expected the dress code was going to be really high-end, and I was really fretting. I was trying to figure out if there was a Nordstrom nearby, what could I do to go buy a tie, but the hotel was sort of rural outside of San Antonio. And I just thought I'm going to have to own it. And I walked in and I saw the meeting planner and I'm ready to do my mea culpa. And she goes, Tom, I'm so glad. I meant to tell you, no coats and ties at our event. It's Jill's Juicy Bites, the place to get communication strategies to grow your business. Here's Jill Schiffelbein. Now, what is a retargeting pixel exactly? Well, once you put this snippet of code in your website, what Facebook does is it recognizes if someone on Facebook has been to your website and then it will only show specific advertisements to people who have already shown an interest in you and what you do. So let's say you get people on your website and they're looking, you know, for information about your programs, your services, whatever it may be. But for whatever reason, you didn't capture that all important email. You didn't get that potential lead in your funnel. What Facebook ads can do to retarget is have your ads only shown to people who have visited your website. So they're already familiar with you and when they see your ad pop up on their screen, there is already going to be some sort of mental connection. 
In terms of selling products, if that's one of your marketplaces, this is a huge way to increase sales. There's tons of studies that show that these retargeting ads are more effective than just advertisements without any type of previous audience engagement. If you want to redirect people to your website or get people to sign up for your list, then offer something of value. Offer an ebook, a white paper, some videos, some audio recordings, something of value for free. That's called a lead magnet. You advertise that lead magnet on Facebook, retargeting people who have already been to your website, draw them to a page and get them to sign up in order for them to get the freebie. That is the power of this type of advertising. The other thing that is so powerful about this is a familiarity idea. When people know and like you, they are more likely to act. The more and more you are in front of them and are at top of mind in a way that is adding value to their life, the more likely you are to convert. So while Facebook ads can do tons of things in terms of targeting, using those retargeting pixels are a great way to start. Some other things that you can do with Facebook ads, you can target ads to specific countries, demographics, genders, expressed interests, people who have joined certain groups. There are so many ways to retarget people and to advertise to people on Facebook. And so that's my challenge to you is if you think advertising is something you need to do for your business, check that out. Now that you understand that a retargeting pixel is basically fancy words for a bunch of letters and symbols that you copy from one thing and put into another, it's actually actually a lot more simple to think about. This is Jill Schiffelbein and it's been another juicy bite. But before I sign off, I want to give a challenge to everybody since it is the beginning of a new year and all. I challenge you to pick one technology solution or one technology advancement that you are either currently using or are going to start using and commit publicly to using that every single month. So whether it's you're going to try advertising and you're going to do a different campaign every month to test things out, maybe you're going to start a lead page where you're collecting names and email addresses and giving away something of value, a lead magnet. Or maybe you're going to start using a new expense app on your phone. Whatever it is and whatever you're using, make a commitment here and now to stick it and use it every single month. See what happens with that consistency at the end of the year and see how much your communication and technology strategies have improved. Again, Jill Schiffelbein with another Juicy Bite, bit.ly slash Jill's Juicy Bites for the supplemental website. Can't wait to be back with you next month. Let's check in with the National Speakers Association President John Molidor for our monthly conversation. Time once again for our conversation with the president of the NSA, Dr. John Molitor. And Dr. John, one of the things when we that you and I started talking about the path we went down when we first set up what we were going to discuss on uh, Voices of Experience, and I thought it was just so brilliant, and, and what you really hope to achieve as the president of the organization, you talked about one of the pieces being bigger business, and I see that theme all the time now, running through chapters, uh, running in various programs that are that are offered. So, bigger business, I'm just going to give you the umbrella view. What does bigger business mean to you in this profession? So it's interesting when I was thinking about 
during my year of service, how might I conceptualize or organize? And as you mentioned, we started with big brain, and then we talked about big heart, then we talked about big ideas. And then I started to say big business. And then I realized that not everybody wanted big business, but most of us want bigger business. So the thought was, this is what separates us from the other profession. Lots of people speak out there, or they use the spoken word as part of their profession. But what makes us different is that we bring the, if you will, the expertise, we do it in an eloquent fashion, uh, we do it in an ethical manner, but then we're also doing it as part of some enterprise or business. And so my thought was, all of us are probably looking for ways to grow our business or to make it a little bit bigger. Again, no problem with if you want to make it big and huge, but everybody comes to this profession in a slightly different way. And maybe they just want to make it bigger, whether they add another revenue line, maybe they get into writing or blogging or running webinars. And so it was a way for us to start thinking about what are speakers doing? What are other professions doing to grow their business? And could we make it a bigger business for all of us? So that was the big conceptual piece of it. I think the best way is to actually sort of provide a smorgasbord, if you will, of ideas so that people could then say, hey, I could do that, and I could do that quickly, or I want to get into this area, it may take some ramping up, learning, and then putting it out there. So it was finding the experts, finding the people that were doing things successfully so that they could grow their business to make it a bigger business for them. So that was the big picture. That was kind of the ideas. Um, as you said, talk to all the different people who I asked to serve NSA during this coming year to be thinking about how can they take their ideas and translate it into bigger business. Sure, and you said it so beautifully because it's a lot of it is about using different platforms, whether it's writing or blogging or repurposing material in a different way or adding to that material and directing it back, as many entrepreneurs do. And you know this, Dr. John, they have different, they have the same lane, but they have different streams. So it's having multiple streams in many cases. But what are those multiple streams that lead you in the right direction for bigger business? Because I've seen, and you may have seen this too, where people get confused and they decide they're going to be all things to all people, and then it gets murky. Yeah, and so we're seeing this growing sense of when you talk about expertise is that since so much information is out there, to know an area well enough to become the expert in that area by reading more, doing the research, finding out what people are doing, borrowing from other areas to say, how might research over here apply to your own area of expertise? Then figuring out, so I think it's a combo. You probably want to be able to do something that naturally you're drawn to. So if you go, you know, I'm not a big fan of webinars, but I'm a big fan of blogs. And you kind of have that leaning toward blogs, well then do the blogs, but the other part is, how might you then do it so well that you can increase your business or grow your business or have bigger business? 
And so you have to figure out who's monetizing that, who's converting that mechanism or platform so that they can make more money or grow their business a little bit more. And that's where I think we can share with one another to say, this is how, again, this is be my experience. This is how I've done it. This has worked for me. And then we learn from each other. And that goes, you know, what we talked about last time about sharing about with each other. And so, again, all kinds of different ways, uh, whether it be, you know, through your writing, you know, everybody says get a book, but maybe it's blogs, maybe it's webinars, all kinds of different ways that you can grow the business. And that's what's great about NSA. You're going to find out who's doing that. And I think that helps us move us forward. Yeah, with bigger business and and listening to what you're you're saying, how important is it to have a strategy? I think many speakers get into the business; they're excited, and and of course, there's different ways to execute and put your ideas out there. But sometimes they don't even have a business plan. I think when you're talking about bigger business, I think strategy also comes into play, don't you? Absolutely. So strategy be huge. How do you want to approach this? Rarely do we sort of do actually kind of a a sense of how do you how are you managing your time? What yeah. percentage are you putting toward building strategy? What what percentage are you putting toward actually doing it? What percentage then are you evaluating what's been done? And so I think a lot of that then becomes part of the self reflection. But having an overall plan, I think, helps enormously if you want to move it forward. Same thing, if we want to grow a bigger business, probably requires some type of strategy. Also doesn't mean that that strategy has to be locked into place and you can't change it. I mean, more and more people, when they're looking at strategic planning, the amount of time that they're setting their strategic plan, I mean, it used to be five, 10-year, 15-year plans. These are shrinking quite a bit. More and more places are going to the five, three, one-year and saying, all right, let me evaluate it and say, is there a new technology out there? Is something different in the world? Do I need to change that strategy? So absolutely, I think having a strategy is critical and then move into what are your operations or tactics to achieve that strategy. Most of us are much more comfortable with tactics and operations. Because as entrepreneurs, typically all we have to convince is one person, yourself and maybe your partner or spouse, that you want to do it. Strategy is kind of that big picture, and that's where you can get through the masterminds uh, by having a group that, that you're working with to help you frame what the strategy is. That's exciting. That's And having that, I think, makes you much more effective. Yeah. Absolutely. Strategy. Think about it for sure. Thank you, Mr. President. We'll speak again next month. Thank you, Kate. Great to catch up with Russ Riddle to talk about trademarks. He's also the vice chair of the NSA's chapter leadership committee. Why is it important to trademark? You know, we all sit here and we brainstorm and mastermind, and we're seeing that's becoming really big in NSA. Great thought leaders, people helping each other, the newbies and the, the um, you know, CPAEs giving out advice. And, hey, that's a, that's a great idea. You should title your speech this, or you should call your book this. So what, why is it important to trademark? 
Well, you get lots more. Let me start with, if you use a mark on your goods or services out in the marketplace, you can put the TEM on there because there are common law trademark rights. But the importance of registering with the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office is it gives you heightened rights. And you also, it's a it's a great piece of evidence, and you're, you're first in line uh, it, it, when other people try to uh, register a trademark that is confusingly similar. That's always the, the test. Is, it, is there a likelihood of confusion with consumers, whether it's a you know, B2B or, or B2C? And so it just give, it gives you more teeth to protect your brand. Because if you don't, and you have this great idea and you're using it, someone blatantly could be trademarking it behind your back, let's face it, right? Right. I mean, it, there are arguments. You have some common law rights, but as far as the trademark office is concerned, it's really a first to file. You, know, you get priority. And, of course, the process takes many months to get through, but they, it, it dates back to the date of filing if there's you know a competition between who was there first. Right. Have you seen a lot of changes in that area? Because now, of course, you're in the speaker business and you're deep in. And, and what have, have you seen? Well, you know, there are some things you need to think about. You, know, you mentioned um, you have a title of a book or you have a title of a speech. You know, one of the, the positions that the trademark office takes is that, it, is this a brand? Or is this just the title of a single work? Because if it's just the title of your book or just the title of your speech, then they view that as, okay, that's the title of a single work. It's not really a brand. And so as you strategize and you put your products and services together, you need to think about, okay, I need to have this go across all of my products in in you know, several speeches with that in there. You know, think of uh, Chicken Soup for the Soul. Mm-hmm. You know, they've got high, who knows how many iterations of that. But the Chicken Soup for the Soul for writers, Chicken Soup for the Soul for yada yada. But that Chicken Soup for the Soul is used the same way on every book, and it really is a brand across many, many books. So think about that. The other thing, you know, the trademark office is like anybody else. They kind of get on tangents. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I've seen lately over the last few months is, you know, you have you want to have T-shirts with, you know, whether it's NSA or whatever across it. And if it's just on the shirt... You'd think that, okay, that's that's my brand, but they don't view it that way. If it's just on the T-shirt it, itself, they view it as it's decorative, ornamental. It's kind of the binge there. So what you have to do there is make sure that it's also in the tag, the hang tag or the sewn-in tag, because we have to show that, no, this is a branded shirt. Yeah, it's on the T-shirt, too. But it's a branded shirt. So, there's, you know, there's little strategic things like that. Yeah, you, and you certainly have come across all kinds of trademark conundrums in the time that you've been an attorney and been, and been doing this. What's one of the craziest deals that you were involved with? Well, you know, you always have the big players that want to, you know, lock everybody out of every single you – know, there's 45 – classifications of goods and services and yeah they've got the corner on the market in certain classes but they if you're in a different class they want to say oh you, know, you can't do that and so you know i i've worked things out with some real uh, household names i won't i won't name them but yeah you know and i found that you know if you just if you have someone on your side your advocate like trademark lawyer uh it gets worked out most of the time and you would advise if somebody really has something hot going or something they really want to pursue that they should trademark it and not sit on the fence? Oh, yeah. Get to it. 
And, you know, you, you can file a trademark application two ways. And, and, and I have filed some for you. This One is you're already using it. It's a regular application. Okay, I'm using it in this class. Here's proof. I've sent in my specimens, you know, photos of my products and all. Or you, we can file. Again, because you want to get the jump on everybody. We can file. Then they have a form intent to use application. And, and the benefits of that is that you're not using it yet. But it gets you first in line to file, and it gets the months-long process going. And in the meantime, you know, you get your products out there, your services out there, and, and once it gets through, it gets to a certain position in the process, and they issue a notice of allowance. Then you have six months to prove to them you're using it. Of course, that can be extended several times, but you know, every time you file something, extension or whatever, it costs a bit more money. Mm-hmm. So you don't want to delay it and delay it. But if you know in the next six, nine months you're going to have, you know, X product out there, X products or services, go ahead and file it as an intent to use. When we file a statement of use at the end, when you are actually, yes, there's a little additional money. But again, you were first, you had it, you had a bona fide intent, and, it, you know, you just be sure. You know, trademarks, you want to be very strategic with. I always advise my clients, with your copyright filings, file liberally. A, it's cheap, and that sort of thing. And But trademarks, you want to be very strategic for two reasons. First, they're more expensive. It's a more expensive process, and you can end up cha-ching, cha-ching. Uh, but the, the, probably the, the real reason that you want to be strategic, aside from the money, is that trademarks are all about distinction. And, and I've had clients that want to file, you know, or I, they come to me after the fact and they've got 10, 20 trademarks filed. Well, then you, then your consumers, whether it's B2B or B2C, are out there going, okay, what is it? Because it's all over the place. Mm-hmm. So you want, to, you want to think this through carefully for those two reasons. Thank you. Time for another one-minute power thought on writing and creativity with my pal Dave Lieber. This time we're talking about what? Uh, I call it Dear Mom. Um, So, Kate, I write two columns a week for the Dallas Morning News, and those are tough deadlines for me to make because I write an investigative column. And sometimes when I sit down, I I get stuck. And uh, so this is a trick that I've borrowed from other writers. I'll start when I'm stuck with this. I'll say, Dear Mom. And I think if my mom were alive, how would I be explaining this to her so that she could get it in a way that she would care even though she lives 2,000 miles away? And just by writing Dear Mom on the top, it really helps me. Sometimes I could write Dear Kate to you and it'd be the same, but I'd be telling you a different kind of story than I'd be telling my mom. I like it. I actually do that, too, as well. I do that uh, when I outline books. I do it to my brother, Patrick. He's a harsh critic, but it it makes me think that I have a deadline. Love it. So, Dear Mom, Dear Whoever. Patrick. Yeah, dear Patrick, whatever works for you. We'll be back again next month with another one-minute power thought on writing and creativity with Dave Lieber. Time to take it out of the park on Voices of Experience. This time around on Out of the Park, pleased to bring you, he's in our virtual green room right now, Greg Stebbin. He's one of the editors of Men's Health Magazine, and he's published 16 books in various forms. So 
17. Oh, my gosh. So when you it talk was, about... publishing one while you were speaking. You didn't oh. even know about it. Oh. So when you talk about having knowledge of the, the business, this guy definitely has it. Greg, first of all, thanks so much for, for coming on. We appreciate it. And I think this is pretty relevant. When you look at being topical and jumping on ideas that could be relevant to people and, and certainly things that would be sellable... Uh, one of them is we just went through months ago and, you know, a, a presidential election and you had an idea about a book that would be related to Trump. Tell us about the book, the idea, and then what happened. Sure. And it's, it's really a fascinating case study for the larger discussion that I think is worth having here. And, and let me start with my sort of thesis for that. And that is, uh, as a guy who has published a lot of books, one of the things I've learned the hard way, and I'd like to save your listeners from learning the same lesson the hard way, is that for most of us, there's no reason going through the effort of writing and then publishing a book if there's not a business model behind it to support the book. So I can tell you from experience that how most authors have a book go from idea to publication is they have the idea, they write it or get a publishing contract and then write it, or decide they're going to self-publish and then write it. And once they finish the book, then they say to themselves, now what do I do? And it's the wrong order. It's a crazy, and it's a mistake I've made myself. What you really should do is have an idea create a business model around it so you know exactly what you're going to do once those books arrive either online in a digital form or a print-on-demand form or even in boxes that end up in your garage. You know exactly what you're going to do to market them to your intended audience. And that business plan, believe it or not, is the part that people sometimes never figure out because I have lots of author friends who have written books and never had a clue about the business part still. And you don't want your listeners to make that same mistake. All right. So, so let's take me through the process. How, if they're listening, paying attention and remember too, with speakers, sometimes in their minds, they say, well, I have a passion about X, Y, Z, and I can sell that when I'm out there speaking. So I'm not as concerned about trying to make this, put this available, make this out there for the, for the bigger audience except for that um i think you want to reach that bigger audience even if you are mostly selling from what we call the back of the room maybe you do and maybe you don't yeah i mean that's really that's where the business model comes in you want to you know first of all um i there's something i used to call the oprah illusion now oprah's no longer on tv but the rule applies every author while oprah was on tv had the dream of getting on oprah but I can't tell you how many authors I know who got on Oprah, mm-hmm. saw a little spike in sales that day, and then never again. The point here is there is no magic bullet for making a book a big seller or a bestseller. There is no magic. You might get lucky, and it might go viral, or something might happen, and I can share my own experience with that, because I got lucky once. But thinking there's you're going to do this one thing, and it's somehow going to magically transform you into a best-selling author... It may happen. I wouldn't plan on it. I would make a real business plan with real strategic ideas behind it and the money that it's going to take and the effort that it's going to take. Otherwise, as I jokingly have been known to say, when you particularly self-publish a book, what you end up with, if you're not smart about it, is a garage full of books. 
Uh, yeah. So the point here for speakers in particular is maybe selling books from the back of the room is enough. And if you actually, you know, build an audience beyond the people you're touching in a room, good for you. But don't count on that unless you have a really rock solid plan to achieve it and make sure the effort and the money that's going to go into writing and publishing that book and sales only from the back of the room is going to justify it. And some speakers may even say, I think just writing the book and having it available to send out to bookers, that's enough of a business plan for me to justify doing it. And I would agree. If you've made that calculation and it gets you more bookings and your book never – if only 10 people in the world ever see your book and it gets you 10 more of the bookings that you want and you know what you're going to be paid to do them, then it was well worth it if you did the math to prove it. Yeah, so there you go. When you said you got lucky, tell us about that story. Well, in, uh, back in the 90s, I uh, I went to see the movie The American President with uh, Michael Douglas and Annette Benning, And I walked out of the theater thinking, huh, I don't know that much about presidents. I mean, you know, my American history knowledge is weak. Maybe there really had been a president whose wife died, was a widower in the White House, and had a daughter, and then he was dating while president. I went home that night. I went online. I did a little research on the history of presidents. I got kind of interested, and literally that night wrote a book proposal and sold it the next day. Wow. So that book, the third edition, which just came out, is called White House Confidential. Uh, That book... The day the publisher, this was a long time ago, so the day the publisher was sent the book to the printer was the day the Monica Lewinsky story broke. <laughs> I asked the publisher to let me add one sentence about Monica Lewinsky. Remember, we didn't know what, we didn't know there was going to be an impeachment. We didn't know what was coming. Right. Added one sentence about her, and literally the day the book came out was the day Ken Starr sent the report to Congress in the banker boxes in the white suburbs. And if you're too young, you may not remember this, but if you're old enough to remember this, you'll realize that this was one of the biggest news stories of the 20th century or the late 20th century. So I was in the right place at the right time, and I used that to get myself on on CNN and Entertainment Tonight and radio, hundreds and hundreds of radio interviews and the L.A. Times, and, you know, I got lucky. But you you can't bank luck. You can do everything you can to make it, and that's why I go back to what I said earlier. You better have a business plan, and the truth is for that book, I did not have a business plan. I got lucky. But I learned with that book that for every book since, if I can't make a good business case for writing and publishing the book, I don't write and publish the book. And in fact, just this week, I backed out of a book deal because I realized I couldn't make a business case for it. Wow. So you knew because, hey, there's no way to make money on this. There's no way to get heard because whether it's getting bookings or whatever it is, you knew that wasn't going to happen, right? Right. And I mean, you know, just to fine-tune what you just said, again, your goal may not be to have millions of people read your book. Your goal may not even be to make money from your book. You may have some other goal. And that's why there's lots of publishers that offer services to people like speakers and business executives to 
publish a book to use as a calling card. That's a very powerful way to use the medium of a book that's not directly going to make you money, but it may be the difference between you getting the meeting or not getting the meeting, or getting the booking or not getting the booking. But again, that should be calculated into your business plan. If you can look and say, if I think writing a book will get me 20% more bookings, that doesn't even take into account what you're selling from the back of the room. 20% more bookings equals X dollars, and wow, that's really worth it. I'm going to go for it. If you're just writing a book to write a book, then, then you don't have a business model. You have a hobby. Yeah, there you go. You have a hobby. Some some things to think about, that's for sure. Greg Stebbin, thanks so much uh, for joining us on Out of the Park. It's great to be here. Here's Kate Delaney with If You Want to Get Heard. How do you get heard with a cluttered media landscape that's constantly changing? There are differing opinions on getting exposure, if it's important, and how you can even get noticed. Here are two big tips on getting coverage. First, Mark Goldman, who owns the New York City PR firm Goldman & McCormick and spent years as a producer for Court TV, Sirius, and Biz Talk Radio. He says the medium is still a great way to get heard. So many people listen to radio. Um, so many people either listen in their car, listen on their smartphone, smartphones, listen at home, radio, um, you know, just so important. Just, I, I just can't stress it enough. There's so many people listening to radio, even though, you know, professionals will tell you, oh, they're listening to Pandora and they're listening to uh, their MP3s and they're listening to this, that, and the other. Uh, I don't know. I kind of think it's rubbish and it's old school. All right. So you, if you're pitching radio, you're pitching any other form of media, What what's a quick tip? What, is it important? You know, people struggle with what kind of email they should write. And a lot of times it tends to be a very long email. And then the subject line usually I find is very dry from somebody, from my point of view, for people listening that gets a lot of pitches. What's something what's something you got to look out for? You got to keep every, you know, as a former producer and now a publicist and PR guru, you got to keep everything short and simple. You also have to tie it into the news. It's got to be very newsworthy to get somebody's attention in the subject line. As far as what you're sending somebody, keep it super, super short, a quick bio, a few talking points, and why it's so important, and some contact information, and that's it. You know, just keep it simple. Keep it short. Thanks, Mark. CSP Jess Todfeld, television producer on the national level for many networks, including NBC, ABC, and Fox. In fact, during that time, he booked and produced over 5,000 segments. He was also part of the team that launched The O'Reilly Factor and Fox and Friends. Jess, besides traditional media, you have another way to get heard. You can be the media. Yay! Why should That's right. We can do it. So while... People expect me to say, here's how you go and get traditional media, or here's how you do your best job. I'm going to go a different direction today and encourage all of my NSA buddies and friends to do this. You can take out your smartphone, a video recording studio in your pocket, and you can do your own show. Make sure you have good audio. So they make a thing called the Smart Lav, L-A-V, Rode Mics, R-O-D-E. You can go on Amazon, get one of those, and a little extension cord for it. But you can interview people. You can put it on YouTube so that you have your own now show. Come up with a little snazzy name or something for it. But say you're at a conference and you see a speaker and you think, oh, wow, that person's really interesting or inspiring or, uh, you know, I'd love to be together with them in some way. You interview them for four or five minutes. That's it. You know, and, and here are all the questions, by the way. You ready? 
who, what, when, where, why, and how. That's it. And then you have all your questions. Now you're an interviewer. So you ask him those questions, and then you have this video. You put it on YouTube. You never know who's going to see it. And you and I were chatting just before. I was saying I, I have these instructional videos on YouTube. They're usually about a minute. There's no whole big workup in what I'm going to talk about. So I go right into some lesson. I've had people from around the world. I had this guy in India who said, I've been watching them for six months. And I said, oh, okay, you have? And he said, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get your biggest package. And I just, I want all of it. And I want to talk to you about licensing material. And then he came and we did stuff together, which was awesome because he watched those. So you can, be, and that's just one way to be the media. Thanks, Jess. Well, after some mishaps, I'm excited to say we finally have President-elect Brian Walter back in the studio. Hey, Kate. That's right. No more locked doors, no more fire alarms. Brian, what do you have to share with our VOE listeners? One sales technique that's worked really well for me. Wait, wait, am I sounding echoey to you? Oh, yeah. Let's get our engineer to fix that. Okay. Try again. One. With me sounding no. Again. Wait, hold on. Again. Got it. Okay, try it one more time. One technique. Oh come on. Is is this the same mic that Donald Trump got in the first debate? Uh, I'm so sorry, I can't Brian. This. this is embarrassing, but we'll try and get this one fixed for the next VOE edition. See you next time on VOE. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.